Hello and welcome to Ed Night Frights, the Talk Film Society podcast celebrating the genre films of Manoj Neliatu Shyamalan, aka Ed Night Shyamalan. I'm your host, Manish Mathur, staff writer at Talk Film Society. This episode, I'm talking The Sixth Sense, uh, starring Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, and Tony Collette. And joining me today is editor-at-large at Talk Film Society, Matt Curio. Hi! How's it going, Matt? It's going! It's going very yeah, well Yeah, excited today. to talk about this movie? Uh, yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah, so uh, before we start talking about the film itself, I just wanted to ask you, like, where were you in 1999, and did you see the movie in theaters? In 1999, geez, I was either... I think I was becoming a fresh... Yeah, that was my freshman year of high school, so... I, I don't remember seeing this in theaters, uh, but I remember renting it on VHS uh, as soon as it was available at my local Blockbuster. Yeah, I definitely was too young to see this movie in theaters. I was 10. Oh, boy. Okay. And I re- remember wanting to because, like, Haley Joel Osment, like, he was around 9 or 10 at the time, I think. So I was like, hey, maybe it's a kid's movie. But nope. then all people <laughs> talked about was how scary it was. So I definitely didn't see it in theaters. We... Definitely did watch it on video. Like, I remember watching it, and I remember being traumatized by it, especially Mm -hmm. um, a certain young female actress who became popular a couple years later uh, and then disappeared again. (laughs) Um, Um, I know exactly what scene you're talking about, but I don't know the actress. Uh, That's uh, Misha Barton. Uh, Oh, I remember her. Okay. Yeah, star of the I know the name. Yeah. Yes. Um, And uh, just, you know, for the listeners... uh, this is an M. Night Shyamalan podcast, so be wary of spoilers. If ah. you haven't seen this movie and uh, don't want to know what happens and haven't found out since the last 20 years, uh, then pause the podcast, watch the movie, it's great, and then come back, because we're going to go full spoilers on this for sure. Oh, without a doubt. There's no way you can't. I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk about this film without going into the ending. And to be fair, that it's hard... With a lot of his films. Right, exactly. Uh, But this one especially became quite famous and infamous for its twist ending. And Mm. uh, Matt, do you think that uh, people only talk about this movie in terms of its ending? Or or do you think that people kind of appreciate the film on its own? I think people who don't like it will only talk about the twist ending. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, I get the vibe that that happens with a lot of people who don't like Shyamalan's films. Uh, they'll specifically focus on the twist, and they won't focus on anything else in the movie, whether it be the the great performances or you know uh, the story beats or just the the you know the character development that goes on in these things. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing that I've been sort of thinking about in my rewatch of all these films is the idea of a plot twist versus a reveal. Yes. Because I think The Sixth Sense, like a lot of M. Night's films in this early part of his career, are more reveals. You know, he lays the groundwork pretty well. The foundation's there. The mystery has all the clues in place, and then it just clicks together like a magic trick. And I think this movie is a great example of that, because when you rewatch the film, as we both have done recently, uh, a lot of the... A lot of the clues, a lot of the ideas that M. Night is kind of putting out there really set up sort of the quote-unquote twist ending. But I think knowing that knowing the ending enhances the experience of watching it, 
Agreed. Uh, did you find that to be true as well? Oh, with, without a doubt. I mean, re- after rewatching this recently, uh, this was only my second time seeing it. I hadn't revisited it uh, since it came out on VHS uh, because, you know, I, I just figured to myself, you know, I know the ending. And it's not one of those movies that, you know, it's really going to work on repeat viewings. But holy crap. This thing holds up, uh, and knowing the, the, the reveal at the end really gets you in tune and on the, move, on the film's level uh, much better than, you know, just going in cold. Because now you're able to, like, you're playing detective. Uh, Shyamalan has, uh, has uh, laid out a crime scene, and you're, you're picking out clues here and there to, like, oh, okay, so this is what's happening here, and that's what's happening there. Like, it, it clicks a lot more uh, the second time through. I really find that the color palette is the one thing that really sticks out to me every time I watch the film. Uh, I watched it a couple of days ago, and I think it was, like, my third or fourth time, and I really like the visual palette of the film because it's very brown and somber and gray, um, and... M. Night will then use color really well, especially the color red, which I think is what he uses in this movie um, to signify that like the ghosts are around. I think that's the color of his tent. Yes. And um, Haley Joel Osment is wearing like a red sweater in one scene, and uh, I think there's like red carpeting. Like he, M. Night really. And the colors pop. The colors really pop because you know the film is set in, in Philadelphia. has a very autumnal feel to it. it. It takes place in a lot of old buildings, and so when he uses that color red, it's really striking. And it's not overly obvious. I mean, it is once you've seen the film a few times and you kind of know to look for it. But the first time you watch the movie, it just it's very subliminal, very subconscious. And you think to yourself, okay, yeah, this red is just—it's really a frightening yeah. color. And uh, that also uh, it, that goes back to that goes to Shyamalan, of, uh, Shyamalan, of course, but also the cinematographer who mm-hmm. worked with him on this and later on in uh, with Signs, uh, Tak Fujimoto, who worked with uh, Jonathan Demme a lot. Uh, he worked on Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia. He's got a good eye on making colors pop. I mean, listeners, I mean, if you've seen Silence of the Lambs. Uh, the color red really pops in that one too, uh, of course, in a lot more graphic way than it does in you know Silence of, in uh, in The Sixth Sense. But uh, yeah, he's got that eye that just uh, he seemed uh, for a little bit there to be really clicking with M Night. Definitely, like really appreciate Tak Fujimoto's work on the film, and I think uh, aside from the color palette, it's the use of close-ups uh, framing within the film yes. lighting. All that has a very. This film has a very eerie, spooky tone to it, and a lot of that comes from the cinematography and you know the, the camera work in general. The way, the way the camera moves at certain times. Um, for example, like one of my favorite moments in the film kind of comes early on. And, you know, Tony Collette and Hale Joe Osment are in the kitchen, and the camera follows her out into another room, and then it comes back, and all the cabinets are open. It's very scary. It's and creepy. It's, it's. I mean, it's amazing how they did it. I'm sure it was just some like a group of some poor interns who just had to yeah. run in. Open <laughs> Those all the poor cabinets. PAs. Yeah. <laughs> and to run in, open all the cabinets, and run out. But you know, it, it would have been so easy just to make that a cut or make that you know different kind of filmmaking. But to have yeah. a, a you know tracking shot almost. 
and just have the camera kind of swing back and forth. It's really jarring, and it's really symbolic of uh, M. Night's direction in general and how he elevates his scares through these like simple tactics. Yeah, it reminded that's that scene in particular, the little cabinets being open. It reminded me of the scene in uh, Poltergeist where the camera never cuts, but they look back at the uh, the dining room, ta- the kitchen table, and all the chairs are stacked up in like a certain way. And obviously, that was also a bunch of PAs running in, stacking chairs within like ten seconds, and like booking it out of the room so they wouldn't be on in the frame. Yeah, that's a that's a great comparison, actually, because you know this film really brought Edmund Shyamalan into the forefront. He had made two films previously, which I'm not going to cover because they're not really genre films, but no. you know, The Sixth Sense, he he sold the script for an obscene amount of money. I think the, yep. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the employee at the studio was fired because he spent too much money on the script, and then the script was so good that M. Night was able to direct it and get final cut. And, yep. you know, with this film, he shot to stardom. I mean, this movie was a I mean, huge hit, as we saw. Huge. It. And he huge. got compared to Spielberg, which is... Yes, I remember that headline. Yeah, I remember that he was I called think it was the, on the next Spielberg. And that's something that Emmett's going to kind of run across a lot, is you know, the pressure of being this kind of wonderkin director, especially yeah. in this era, you know, I mean, like the 90s and 2000s. Hurt. It doesn't hurt when Kathleen Kennedy is one of your producers to make that comparison. Right, exactly. And you know, she, of course, has an eye for talent, so it's um, no surprise there. It's, but it's kind of her thing. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, pretty good at her job, and I hope yeah, she keeps you know. it forever. But yeah, he gets um, compared to Spielberg, and I think it's a really apt comparison because both of them are able to make films that are glossy and sophisticated yet have this very um i'm trying to figure out the right word but it they're it's they almost can, like a genre feel yeah they're they're and genre they, but they're also very very produced very sophisticated looking and not in a bad way of course I mean, these, no not at all, all their movies but they also great. they both love playing with the audience like they can't get enough of just you know pulling on the strings here and there like they're puppet masters like this scene's really going to work, and it's really going to get an audience reaction, and then, bam, I'm going to do this, too. It's really interesting to me how the film is really clever in its in its screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, M. Night did get an Oscar nomination for for this film, for his um, his screenplay. And director. Uh, and director, yeah. Oh, f- yeah, I forgot about that. He, yeah. um, he was nominated for, for both. But I really think the screenplay is interesting because the way that he writes certain scenes, your mind fills in the blanks and you yeah. you read it the way that he's presenting it and then you watch it again and you realize all the hidden meanings in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, exa- the scene I'm thinking about is the scene at the Italian restaurant with Bruce Willis and oh my his God, yes. ex-wife played by Olivia Williams. That scene, it, it, you watch it and you think, okay, yeah, she's mad because he's late for uh, their anniversary dinner and she's not really talking because she's being passive aggressive. And then you watch it again and you realize, oh, he's not... He's she's not even there. Like she's just And she even says happy anniversary before yeah, she leaves. I'm like I'm like, "Oh, that's a good that's a good touch right there." It, yeah, it's a great it's a great line because you you understand why which why she would say it as we believe him to be there and she's being a little passive aggressive as I said earlier, but then you watch it again and you think, "Okay, no, she's just saying it because she's sad and that's the memory that she's having." So So uh, hey, spoiler. Bruce Willis is dead. 
Oh, yeah. Shocker, guys. <laughs> you have uh, time. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's really one of the best twist ending or best endings of all time, I think. I really, it's great. Actually, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, which you reminded me just now, is do you think that do you think that the sixth sense kind of was the ultimate twist ending? And do you think that we can have a twist ending like that again? Or are we just too are we the audience just too aware of the potential for a twist ending? Um, I think if someone is has the heart has their hearts in it, they can pull that off again. Uh, it's really hard, uh, you know, with the internet and everything. Yeah. And, you know, everything has, like, a festival reaction and all that. But I would hope we could get this kind of thing again. Yeah, I mean, I think the, one of the cool things about The Sixth Sense, and one thing that I think is kind of missing from films like this, is that the twist ending um, has a lot of emotional resonance to it. And I think now... I guess this is true of all time periods in film, but I think if some were to try to replicate it, they just wouldn't be able to. It would just be too cynical. Not at all. And I think that I think that Edmund Shyamalan, as well as wanting to pull the rug out from his audience, I think he also wanted to have this ending be packed like an, an emotional wallop, which it does. I mean, because we really feel the emotional arc of the characters. And it's not just a spooky ghost story. It's also about trauma and survival and you know, lack of communication between a husband and a wife and a mother and son. I think what the sixth sense is just such a right place, right time thing that mm-hmm. the closest we got was M. Night topping himself in Split, you know, with that ending. Yeah, oh, yes. uh, which I don't think <laughs> anyone was expecting. And you know, nope. God bless those people who saw it first and kept the secret. They kept they kept quiet about that. Yeah. Uh, which oh, I'm thankful because uh, fun fact, I saw Split first. Oh, before Unbreakable? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, we, we watched Split, and we're like, wait, what? And then uh, we looked at each other like, well, I guess we should put on Unbreakable now, right? Right. That's crazy. I mean, I hadn't seen Unbreakable since... <laughs> crazy, <they> right? <laughs> I hadn't seen Unbreakable in years. So the the ending really didn't register with me, as, but it did in the way that... Because I saw it with a huge audience, and they all lost okay. their minds. As I'll explain <laughs> in a forthcoming episode um, on Unbreakable. But I think the reason why the twist works so well is that it's emotionally impactful as well as a crazy ending that you just you don't see it but on looking back it's an editable ending yeah yeah um i want to switch gears and talk about uh academy award nominee tony collette yes please um who also gave an iconic car performance earlier this year in hereditary kind of it's interesting both those performances are opposites and parallels of each other 20 years apart. <laughs> yeah, 20 years apart, and she goes for broke and hereditary, and it's a very visceral, over-the-top performance in all the best ways. And, and this performance, in The Sixth Sense, she's very restrained, and her, like the tragedy of her family is all buried under her, and it kind of peeks out in, in different ways. So I, She's so damn good in this. Yeah. Like, so damn good. That scene in the car where she has the conversation... Um, uh, with Cole, yeah, that's great. That is that is great when she's asking about her mother. Like, wow, that that really got me this time watching it. Where you know, I'm older now. I I, I understand what they're going for a little more, and like the gravity of that scene. Where at first she's like, "That's not good. Don't don't talk like that." And then she just 
there's like a wave that goes over her and she just accepts it. Yeah, it's it's a really heartbreaking performance in a lot of ways because she just doesn't know how to help her son and he doesn't know how to communicate to her what he really needs from her. Yeah. Because he wants to keep the secret that he can, you know, surprise, he can see dead people, which is like the famous line. But um, (laughs) he he wants to tell her, but he can't tell her because she won't believe him. And um, another great scene between them is when she's asking him about her mother's, uh, I think, bracelet or pendant or brooch. The brooch, yeah. The brooch, right. And he's telling her, like, he didn't move it and she doesn't believe him because who else would have done it? Exactly. And it's like, you can tell with her performance that she just hates the fact that she has to go through this with him. And Haley Joel Osment, also a great actor in this movie, and also Oscar-nominated. He's phenomenal here. Uh, yeah. he's It's one of those child performances that really stands the test of time. I mean, a lot of child performances you can, you can see, like, you can, you can see the director's hand very much so right. in, in the scenes. Uh M Knight has a has a, a good uh, rapport with child actors apparently because it's another way that he got compared to to Spielberg. Yeah, I mean, you look at Spielberg, the child performances in his films, they're almost uniformly great. Uh, there's a story about you know Haley Joel Osment on set in that he's a very studied actor even at that young age and yeah he wasn't having his lines fed to him by his parents or or, no, no, no. or anyone else he took the role very seriously and really tried to in- understand you know the the subtext and the context of the film and it really comes through it's a very very insightful sad performance from him. But he still feels like a real kid. He's not overly yeah. precious, and it's hard to imagine a, a different child actor in that role. I mean, he really—it's really, it's really a, a great, great performance from him. He's awesome. He's awesome here. As we talked earlier, this movie was a huge hit, very popular. And I just wanted it made a to, lot of money. It made a lot of money. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about that because it came, it came out in August of 1999. It wasn't really expected to make a lot but it ended up opening at uh, 25 million sorry 26 million dollars in its opening weekend um this is uh, august 6 1999 and it ends up making um about 294 million dollars in the u.s alone jesus and uh an additional 380 million worldwide so it's a total of of yeah 673 million dollars worldwide (laughs) um that's crazy Uh, i can't do the math of what that would be in 2018 money but it's probably like close to a billion at least moviegoers had a lot of money well the thing Uh, is that 1999 i mean like two months before you had uh episode one come out right and that made a ton of money and then earlier in the year, you even had, like, The Matrix come out, and that made a ton of money. I mean, 1999 is, is famous for being an iconic year in, Such a good in year. Hollywood and abroad. And with movies exactly like The the Sixth Sense, hugely influential, hard to replicate, amazing success. The Matrix, the same. Um, the Phantom Menace, while not as uh, popular nowadays, it's still a At very... At the time, it was the most popular thing ever. Right, Exactly. <laughs> And you know, hey, the, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the prequels. Um, 
I think everyone had fun watching that first movie in theaters. Yeah, that was my that was my favorite movie of all time when I saw it. Of course, um, at ten. But you know, the cool thing about the, at ten, the cool thing about the Sixth Sense is that it um, almost demands repeat viewings. Mm-hmm. And not only because people wanted to catch all the clues, but it was just, it's one of those movies, kind of like Titanic a few years earlier, where you just would take people to go see it. Like, I, I had friends who would just, they just went back with different friends, and it was all people talked about. And this movie, like, was in theaters for almost an entire year, from August until May of 2000. Yeah, like you said, it was one of those, you have to see this. Yeah, and it's... um. Its drops per weekend were very low, uh, had high attendance, and yeah, it was number one for uh, uh, six weeks, which is almost unheard of these days. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, and nominated for six Academy Awards, um, Best Director, Best Picture, um, Best Supporting Actor for Haley Joel Osment, Supporting Actress for Tony Collette, Screenplay for M. Night, and um, Editing as well. Not Cinematography, which is... uh, Shocking. Yeah. But the Academy always pretty much forgets uh, Fujimoto, yeah. honestly. I don't think he was nominated for... Or no, he was nominated for Silence and Lamp, but he didn't win. He didn't win, yeah. Yeah, so this movie was just like um, a really, really popular movie. It's all people could talk about. And I think it's rare to find people who don't know the twist ending, although I think probably younger kids now who are born True. when this movie came out, they probably don't know it. And I'm always curious to know, because I... I knew the ending almost immediately because it was spoiled for me by I don't know, my family or whatever. Jerks. Um, but and of course, you know, it's all people can talk about. But I, I really don't, you know, I don't think it really hurts hurts your experience watching it, knowing it. Um, I really find this film to be rewatchable. It's not a movie that I really have to watch over and over again, but it definitely has yeah. its uh, a lot of pleasures to it, and um, it's very. Very fun movie. It's a movie that I want to rewatch very soon, even after just watching it now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it's got that pull. Like I was thinking about it at work today. I was like, you know, that was that was really good. I want to want to watch that again. I do want to talk about Bruce Willis. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, amazing here. Yeah, uh, just so damn good, and it just shows that when he has a good director and a really good screenplay, he can knock it out of the park. He can give a really good dramatic performance. Uh, absolutely loved him here. I, I think it's probably his best dramatic role. I mean, next to what? Uh, Pulp Fiction? Yeah, Pulp Fiction, Unbreakable. I mean, I would count yeah. Die Hard in there as well. Yeah. I mean, I guess but like, as well, that's dramatic role or not, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's terrific here, and you can tell that he's really invested, uh, and he and he cares. I mean, you could even see that in, obviously, Unbreakable. Uh, you can see that in just the trailers for Glass. It seems like yeah. he's, he's come to play. Like, he, he obviously is good friends with, uh, with M. Night, and it shows. It shows when he has a connection to a filmmaker, uh, it really, really works. Also, weird to see him with hair again. Yeah. Uh, that right, threw me, that threw me for a loop in that first scene of the Sixth Sense. I was like, "Oh yeah, he wasn't always bald." Right. Okay. Cool. That's so true. Yeah, it totally. It totally takes you takes you out of it for a second. You're like, "Oh, Bruce Willis with hair." Okay, sure, I can go with this. <laughs> I think for me, one of the reasons why Bruce Willis works so well with M Night is that M Night is a very uh, studied, um, still director, mm-hmm. and that is also that when M Night does 
do more flashy things. Um, it really, really stands out well. But I think Bruce Willis works well with directors who are very measured and yes, um, yes. focused. Someone like Wes Anderson. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking of Moonrise Kingdom, which is, I think... Another, oh, he's great in that, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, another great Bruce Willis role. Um, as opposed to something like Cop Out or the later Die Hard sequels, where you're just like, what is even <laughs> what is even happening here? Or, um, what was that uh, NRA movie he just made with... Um, what? What's his face? Uh, Who? Death Wish. I guess it's oh, God, not, te- yeah. okay, technically not an NRA <laughs> movie, but whatever. Um, um, yeah, no, I've not seen Death Wish. I I'm haven't sorry. seen it either, but it just looked like he looks so not interested. Yeah, um, he doesn't but at all. I I really loved him in in The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, which is next, and of course, you know, with um, Glass coming up in a few months, I feel like that's going to be a, another return to form for him. I mean, he yep. looks like you say he looks great in the trailers. Yeah, he looks like he cares, which right. is always a nice thing. <laughs> Uh, so do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I'm just really glad this held up. I really, really like it. I mean, I've gone back and forth on uh, on my love of his films over the years, you know? Yeah. Uh, where I'm like, oh, yeah, he's really good. And then I'll, and then I'll watch something else. I'll be like, eh, it's fine, you know? Uh, but he's a, he's, a, he's a director that I'm always willing to give another chance, uh, no matter no matter what. I'm always willing to say, you know what? I, maybe I didn't like his last movie. I'll give his next one a shot. Yeah, he definitely has earned the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, with no, well, yeah, obviously. I mean, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of uh, uh, the Village when I first saw it. You know. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I kind of tuned out from him for a while, and and then I eventually got around to seeing The Visit. Blown away. <laughs> Yeah, spoiler he, he, he alert. Get, he gets other chances. Yeah, spoiler alert for The Village and The Visit. I really like both those movies, and I'm very excited to talk about them. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I definitely think that, um, you know, The Sixth Sense is a amazing, amazing breakthrough film for a young director like him. And uh, I definitely think that he, of course, has his you know peaks and valleys as a filmmaker. I'm glad it's kind of on his way up again. Um and uh, The Sixth Sense, I believe, is streaming on Netflix right now. So um, I believe so, yes. Anyone yeah. who listens to this and wants to watch it again, it's uh, right there for you. Um, Matt, where can people find you online? Well, as usual, you can find me on the Twitters, at TheRealMattC. Uh, you can also find me over at Talk Film Society. I'm the editor-at-large, doing a lot of fun stuff over there, and I got a few other things in the works. Great. You can find me on Twitter at themanish89. That's T H E M A N I S H 89. Also at com, where I write about a lot of fun stuff. Um, stay tuned. Uh, next week, we're taking a trip into the superhero genre with Unbreakable, also starring Bruce Willis. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, this was fun. Thanks for getting me to watch this movie because uh, I'm really happy I did. I am really, really glad you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening and see you next time. 